Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to episode 166 of the MyFit Podcast. This week on the show, I am thrilled to interview Dr. Nate Zinser. Dr. Zinser, or otherwise known as Dr. Z, is a world-renowned psychology expert who has taught three generations of soldiers, athletes, and executives to master the arts of confidence and mental toughness. Dr. Z is the director of the Performance Psychology Program at the United States Military Academy at West Point, the most comprehensive mental training program in the country, where since 1992, he has helped prepare cadets for leadership in the U.S. Army. He's also been the sports psychology mentor for numerous athletes, including two-time Super Bowl champion Eli Manning, as well as many Olympians and NCAA champions. I came across uh, Dr. Z's brand new book, The Confident Mind, when it came out back in January, and his title just brought me in right away. I had to learn more because I'm so curious about all things that have to do with mindset. And quite honestly, I just haven't came across a lot of material that have to do with gaining confidence. So I sent the book over to my dad, who is a motivational speaker, works very closely with team captains and team leaders. That's his career. And we both kind of went through the book together and decided that this is one of the best books that we've read in a long time. Uh, My dad puts it up with uh, the books of uh, How to Win Friends and Influence Others. I say it's just as good as Carol Dweck's Mindset book. Uh, This book is quite honestly amazing and has so many nuggets for people who are athletes, everyday fitness enthusiasts, or just business professionals who want to create more confidence. So I was super stoked that Dr. Z was willing to come on the show and talk about his book, The Confident Mind. And so some of the topics we got into today were first, what is the definition of confidence? Dr. Z has a very specific definition that helps to lay the foundation for the rest of the conversation. Then we talked about the difference between confidence and competence. Do they go together? Are they separate? Does one come before the other? Then we talked about having anxiety versus a lack of confidence. Nowadays, we've heard, we hear the words anxious and anxiety more than we ever have. So we were curious on what's the difference between having anxiety and just a lack of confidence. After that, we talked about how to build your mental bank account, overcoming negative self-talk, things like body language and how body language plays a role in confidence. Talked about being confident in the unknown and in unknown environments. And at the end, we closed down with three ways to think, view, and overcome your imperfections. This episode is one of those where if you don't, I highly recommend grabbing a pen and a pad of paper because there are so many things to take away. And it's probably one you'll have to go through once or twice. Uh, And it's definitely one of my favorite conversations that I've had in recent memory on this show. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Um, And then if you do, please be sure to leave a rating and review and refer it to a friend as that helps the show grow tremendously and also 
also helps to bring on more amazing guests like Dr. Nate Zinser. So without further ado, I've really been pumping this one up. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation with me, my dad, and Dr. Nate Zinser. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Let's go. Dr. Z, welcome to the MyFit Podcast. I've been looking forward to this conversation ever since buying your uh, fantastic new book, The Confident Mind, A Battle-Tested Guide to Unshakable Performance. I have my dad here as well. We're both very excited and honored to have the conversation today. So thanks for taking the time. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. So I think a big topic, obviously, the confident mind. It's a subject that a lot of people want to know more about whether you are in athletics or just in your professional life, people are searching for ways, they're craving ways to become more confident. And I think in order to set the table for this conversation, Dr. Z, I think we first need to go through one, what is your definition of confidence? You, you uh, display it in the book, beautifully written, talk to me about what's the definition. And then secondly, what does it look like and what doesn't it look like? Okay. Um, we can spend hours on this particular question <laughs> alone. Um, it's important to have a good working definition when you're trying to uh, explain something. And, you know, you can look in the dictionary for definitions of confidence and you'll see, you know, a belief in oneself, uh, a sense of assurance, la, 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 la. Um, for those of us who actually get out there in the performance sphere, um, I found that those definitions weren't particularly useful. So what I came up with and what has worked for me um, working with, you know, athletes of all stripes for years and years is a definition that goes like this. Confidence is the sense of certainty that you have about your abilities, which allows you to execute those abilities pretty much without having to think about what you're doing when you're doing it. It's the idea that you are certain enough that you can execute unconsciously. And when I say unconsciously, I don't mean without any kind of awareness at all, but I'm referring to that sense of automaticity that we all experience at times. Um, you know, what, moving quickly down a flight of stairs is a pretty complicated activity requiring hundreds of muscles and joints and sensory organs, but we perform that activity without thinking about which muscles are working when and how we transferring our weight. Um, the conscious mind isn't very good at directing those sort of complicated activities. Um, so we really have to develop a sense of certainty in ourselves. I know how to do this. I know this material. I'm trained. Maybe I'm not perfectly trained, but I'm trained enough. And I'm going to be certain enough at, about my training and I'm going to let my training out without forcing it, without thinking about it. I'm going to be more or less unconscious in my execution. That's how I start the idea of confidence. So to create that, there is a combo platter of confidence and competence. Sure. So does competence lead to confidence or does confidence lead to competence? Well, um, you can think of it as two sides of the same coin. You can think of it as that black and white yin-yang symbol of complementary forces. Um, I have found, unfortunately, that too many people refuse to feel certain about themselves unless they already have achieved a heck of a lot of success in something. Um, and that's going to hold you back. You know, that's going to prevent you 
from ever succeeding at something for the first time. If you're going to do something for the first time and do it well, and it's challenging, well, you're going to have to have a sense of your own certainty about it. So while the competence that you develop through your training certainly can build your confidence, if you don't allow it to, if you're always thinking, well, I should have done more, or maybe I didn't do it right, or hey, look at what somebody else is doing, then the work that you put in, the study, the training, whatever it is, really doesn't accomplish the goal of making you feel certain about yourself. That certainty is something that you have to do in the privacy of your own mind, pretty much regardless of how much training you've done. You know, hopefully you've done a hell of a lot, but you better have certainty about it. You better trust it in order for it to actually come out in the competition, in the game, in the test. Otherwise, you're going to step into that performance arena and you're going to go, well, I hope I'm okay, rather than I'm enough. Let's do this. And we hear that word anxiety probably the last three years more than we have previously. What is the difference between anxiety and lack of confidence? I think they're very much connected. You know, the, the textbook anxiety concept is really a subjective state that is characterized by fear. Now, why would someone be fearful? They're fearful of, you know, an upcoming test, an upcoming competition. They're fearful of the outcome. They're fearful of what people might say if they don't uh, perform well. They're fearful of what they might think of themselves if they don't perform well. All of those fears, you know, kind of have their root in a lack of personal certainty about what you have done, what you are capable of, and whether you're going to let, let your, your goodness, your training, your fitness come out at the moment. So I think functionally, there isn't a whole lot of difference between those terms. I mean, we could split hairs and get into all kinds of psychoanalytic theory about free-floating anxiety and lots of stuff that Professor Freud wrote about. Um, I studied some of that stuff, but I steer pretty clear of it nowadays because I haven't found any, but I haven't found any of that to really help somebody who's training for the CrossFit games. It seems to me that one of the reasons or one of the ways that people lose confidence is when they start focusing on things outside of their control or outside of themselves. So for instance, they're at a stadium and they're thinking about what the fans are thinking about, or they're thinking about what their coach is thinking about, and their focus is just taking away from themselves. And it's very much the uncontrollable. You talk a little bit about it in your book. Talk to me a little bit about where does that come into play? How do you work with people who are more focused and worried or anxious about people around them that really have nothing to do with their play? Maybe it's the crowd. Maybe it's somebody else. How do you work with somebody that deals with that? Well, I think you have to be very, very clear and very exact about how does your thought process affect your mood? How does that mood affect your body and how's that state of your body going to be in terms of your execution? Um, I think in order to help somebody who has that tendency, I got to explain to them that all your thoughts aren't just isolated mental phenomenon. They manifest themselves throughout your body. 
It's going to affect your blood flow. It's going to affect your heart rate. It's going to affect everything about you. And if you want all those factors to be sort of locked in on target, then you have to be very careful about how you think. So what happens when you think about the tens of thousands of people or the hundreds of people in the stands? What happens when you think about um, coaches' opinions, um, media coverage, um, sports writers? Um, all that is simply, all that is a, distra a distraction. All that takes you away from focusing your energy, your competency on the task, the play, the race, the lift of the moment. So to me, that's an educational process. A lot of people simply don't understand how deeply connected the mind and the emotions and the body really, really are. Once you establish that connection and get people to think about it, then they can been, then they can begin to take their thought process seriously. Hey, maybe I got to be careful. Maybe I got to be a little selective about how I think about myself. You know, maybe I want to sort of put those blinders on that you see on racehorses. So I'm not picking up all this unnecessary, extraneous, distracting information. Um, it's really an educational process, DJ, helping people understand how your thoughts and your mood and your body and your execution are all connected. And then you start thinking about your execution. And that just engenders a certain kind of a cycle. And you're either going to be on a effective, constructive cycle with that stuff, or you're going to be on a destructive cycle. There isn't a whole lot of gray area. There's no, not much in the way of a middle ground. Yeah. One of the ways you talked about in your book that I love so much, and I've replicated that into my, um, into my career as a CrossFit athlete is just the difference of confidence goes down when people start to say they're feeling really nervous and the nerves and the excitement. And you change that framework into being one thankful for those feelings, emotional, emotional states, and that's those senses. And maybe instead of using the word nervous, just simply switch it to something about I'm excited. And just that exactly. turn yeah. can really start to reframe. Can you open that up? And maybe if you have any other examples of maybe words you want to avoid and words you want to replace with when you're talking about uh, Self-talk? Yeah, a, a super important concept, uh, DJ. I, I have not gone a week in my career without talking about this to someone or some, some ones, um, you know, in the, for the last 30 years. Um, it is such a misunderstood phenomenon, the idea that, you know, oh, I am nervous, meaning I'm apprehensive as opposed to I'm nervous, meaning my nervous system is just firing a little more fiercely, which, hello, is how evolution designed us. Um, just last night, I was talking to a young lady who is an equestrian competitor. She's a show jumper, and she's been dealing with this, and we've been talking about this, and she made a wonderful comment about, as you say, accepting the fact that this is what your body does. And instead of thinking, oh gosh, I'm nervous. Now you get to think I'm excited. And, and this young lady's comment was, why would my body do anything to hurt me at that moment? You know, you're stepping up to the line of scrimmage. You're stepping into the show ring. You're stepping up to that big bar. Hearts pounding, might have some butterflies little sweat, you know, 
all of that is to help you. Why would your body give you something to hurt you at a moment like that? Um, nature is way too smart and we should trust that. We should respect the wisdom that's been built into us over hundreds of thousands of years of existence on this planet. And we should expect that wisdom to express itself on game day. And then when it does, we should embrace it, take it in, say, yeah, thank you. I'm really excited. It's great to be this excited. Ain't I lucky that I get to do something that excites me like this. Uh, and that's how you use it to your betterment. It's almost like here it comes. I mean, here comes that shot that is going to help me perform versus, oh, no, why am I feeling like this? It's going to hurt my performance. I want to I dig into a little bit. You said it before how confidence is also projected and, and is influenced by our body language. Amy Cuddy has a great statement that our mind affects our body and our body affects our mind. And I think back to the recent NCAA men's basketball tournament, Bill Self, and just watching the way that he conducted himself is very compelling. There was always a smile on his face. He kind of had this... Uh, Looked like he was bantering in a fun way with uh, the referees, with his coach, his assistant coaches, his players. And that had to have rubbed off a little bit, not only on his team, but also on, on the opponent. So how much of a role does your body language play in confidence? And can we put ourselves in a body language where maybe we can trick our mind when we're not as confident as we'd like to be? Okay. Um, you're hitting on a couple important things. One's body language when you're part of a team or part of a unit uh, absolutely affects other people, all right? We are social beings. We pick up on members of our tribe and how they look and how they seem to feel. Um, so if you're in any kind of, you know, team situation, you know, certainly for a coach, um, you better be modeling the confidence and the composure that you expect your players to have. Because if they see you losing your stuff, they don't, it, they'll never say this out loud, but it actually gives them permission to be a little less mentally tough themselves. Okay. So, you know, taking it down to an individual level, um, you know, Amy Cuddy's statement is right. Our mind affects our body. And our body can affect our mind. We just have to be willing to take control of what we can control. You know, if I'm about to step into a CrossFit competition, I don't think I want my heart rate really, really low. You know, I'm not going to try to influence that. Um, but I can control my thoughts. I can control what I'm saying to myself as I go up to an event, as I'm recovering from an event as I'm preparing for the next event. So I get to really exert a lot of leverage over the state of my body by welcoming the arousal and then telling myself over and over again, here's my opportunity. Let's see what I got in the tank. Let's see how well I'm going to execute this event. Let's see how many I'm going to pull out. Let's see how fast I can climb that rope. It's when you start managing your own thoughts about yourself, you optimize that leverage with your body. 
And isn't it something how our body language sends a message to our opponent? Uh, DJ had an opportunity to work with Larry Fitzgerald. And one of the things he huh. talked about is, man, I'll, I never let him see that I'm tired. He never put his hands on his shorts, leaning over. And there's almost like blood in the water. You, you got mm -hmm. somebody down. And so I imagine it's very important for athletes and for anybody. Let's say it's a business presentation and it's not going very well. We see sunken shoulders. And so it's to be aware of how it sends a message to us, but also to be aware that, hey, we're sending a message to our opponents. So when we get down, we can't show them that we are struggling. We want to show them that, hey, we may, we may have missed a few shots here, but that's not going to affect our game. I mean, that was just a couple of temporary pieces that we're coming back. Very, very true. Um, I can't remember which coach said it, you know, never, le never let him see a sweat. Um, and if you want a really good book on that, get, get the book entitled Out of Bounds, written by Jim Brown, the NFL running great. And he has a wonderful chapter entitled Psychological about being a tough guy and the necessity of being a tough guy, you know, in the old days of, you know, of, of his NFL career. Uh, it's really quite telling and it speaks exactly to your point. You have to create deliberately an attitude and an aspect of confidence and trust in yourself. Oh, and if it's a team sport in your teammates, you have to deliberately create that or else you're opening the door for self-doubt, worry, etc. So if you're a team leader and my experience is traveling across the country, work with a lot of athletes, high school athletes and some college athletes. Let's say you're a leader and you see someone who's got the raw potential and you they've got it. And yet they have shaky confidence. What can a leader do to kind of promote it or to get them to at least take a little bit of a risk and, and start to explore what they're capable of. Are there some certain tips that leaders can take on with someone who's shaky with their confidence? Sure. Um, the leader can help that individual identify and emphasize um, their strong points, their accomplishments, you know, Sometimes we need people to tell us, hey, look at how well you just did this drill. Look at how well you've done in practice. Let's look at this piece of film. You really have a heck of a lot of, you know, of great attributes. That's really important. And ultimately, however, it's going to be up to the athlete, him or herself, to start thinking that way about him or herself. And so again, it's kind. Of, I find it's a it's an important educational process to teach people that a they can control the content of their thoughts, and b here are some rules about how to do it. Here are some rules about managing your memories. Here are some rules about how you want to talk to yourself about the things that you're doing now and the things that you're striving to get better at. Um, so for a, a leader's responsibility is to encourage confidence by pointing out successes, pointing out potential, and encouraging, it's okay for you to think about this yourself, kid. It's okay for you to think of yourself as that kind of guy. You know, maybe you haven't yet. Maybe, maybe you're one of the many, many, many people who grew up to think, you know, I shouldn't be the least bit full of myself 
because I know being conceited is not good socially, you know? And a lot of people have inherited that message to a very significant degree, to the point where they won't allow themselves to think at all about their accomplishments, about the things they do well, and about the kind of future they've got. They've interpreted any of those sort of um, confidence-building thoughts as just a way to become arrogant and conceited and not very likable. So it's important for athletes, for leaders, to encourage a little bit of healthy arrogance. It's okay for you to walk onto that field and think, this is my moment, I'm taking over. That opponent has his hands full trying to handle me. That's an okay way to think. And the best coaches have always been able to communicate that, you know? What popped into my head is how many times do you see, you, I know you do a lot of work with the NFL players. Maybe it's a running back who fumbled or a quarterback who threw an interception and they come right back with handing the ball off to the person who fumbled it or yeah. to a pass and, and yeah. almost saying to that athlete, okay, yeah, you had a mistake there, but we're going right back to it. Right. That mistake happened, but it was just sort of a one-time thing. And it has nothing to do with what could happen on the very next series or the very next play. Um, I love it. You know, when they throw, you know, if they throw a, bar, a poor ball to one route and the very next opportunity, they throw the same route and it sticks. Um, that's, that's a functional short memory. You talk about a healthy arrogance. I love that term. And I think when some people think about confident people, I think their mind might go to people that are very outspoken. They're loud. I think we all know some NBA players that kind of fit that mode. And some people might be thinking, Dr. Z, that that's just not really who I am. I'm not very a loud and outspoken person. That's not who I want to be. But you've talked in your book about how there's a kind of a quiet confidence that's actually more dangerous than the people who are a little bit more outspoken. So talk to me a little about the difference between <laughs> being out loud versus internal. And then maybe the people that are internal, they don't want to be that, that loud person. How can you still mm -hmm. be confident even though you're not the loud speaker on your team yeah well well it goes back to the, the the most essential point is that confidence is how you think about yourself confidence is an internal thing now if you happen to be a extroverted outspoken individual well then what you think on the inside comes out of your mouth but you have to have it on the inside first. Now, some people are loud and outspoken and extroverted. Other people are quiet and introverted. But as long as they have that internal belief in themselves, that internal sense of certainty, they can perform just as well as anybody else. And it's perfectly fine that they are quiet about themselves, having the internal confidence, whereas some people who cultivate the same level of internal confidence just happen to be naturally outspoken and more um, more extroverted. But it's it's really a matter of how you think on the inside. If you happen to be a quiet, introverted, not comfortable talking about yourself kind of person, well, that's fine. No one's asking you to talk about it, but it's really important that you think about it and you feel it on the inside. 
And so you see people like the Manning brothers and Drew Brees and, um, you know, Serena Williams. I mean, these are not loud, outspoken competitors. Right. You know, I make the mention of Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey in the book. Um, certain, you know, we, we see it in lots of other athletes who happen to be outspoken individuals. Um, I like to think that most of those outspoken folks also have it on the inside. Sometimes they don't. And their outspoken arrogance is really a smokescreen, a defensive mechanism to divert them from the fact that they really don't have it on the inside. But my point is that if you have it on the inside, then express it out loud if that is your natural style. If you have it on the inside and your natural style is to be quiet, be quiet. You can have it either way. You get to be comfortable in your own skin. I'm curious on your thoughts. People say, fake it till you make it. What, what goes through your head when you hear fake it till you make it? You know, that that's not a bad comment. Um, I, I usually don't use the term fake it. But I will take uh, tell people, hey, act like you've already won. Act like you have already succeeded. How would you feel if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was going to tap you on the shoulder before the game and say, hey, I got your back, buddy. No problem. Go out there and play. I got you. It's all going to work out. How would you feel if that happened? Now, God probably has more important things to do, but uh, we'll leave that for a the theological discussion. But the idea is that act like you're there, okay? If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was going to happen, how would you feel? How would you look? What would you be saying? What would you be communicating to your teammates? How would you step out into that arena? Um, that's the way I use the term fake it till you make it. I, I, I don't use the term fake it because for a lot of people it says, oh, God, I can't fake this. This is this is real. I don't want to be the least bit fake or phony. I'm saying, no, just compose yourself. You have control of your own mind. You have control over your own thoughts and feelings. Which thoughts and feelings are most beneficial for you right now? You know, and my work is to help people develop a whole lot of those correct thoughts build up a big bank account so that when they do step onto the field that power that grace that composure happens more or less naturally you can't just turn it on on game day if you haven't spent the previous six days you know training right and thinking right about your training so there's a physical side of that. And then there's a huge, obviously, mental side of that, the visual side of how do I come back when it's not going very well? You have a great game plan. I mean, I guess that we're coming back to football quite a bit here, but all of a sudden the forecast the day before shows uh, this huge rainstorm. And now you're going to be throwing a wet football hypothetically. So what are, what are the mental strategies that people in all walks of life can use to see both the good. I mean, that's that's fun to run those, but then are there strategies that people can start to implement mentally when it's not going very well as to how they're going to overcome those things that are uncontrollable? So you have to control 
the uncontrollable in one way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very important question. I counsel people continuously when preparing for a presentation or a match or a game or a competition, you know, let's, let's spend a little time talking about a couple, three things that could go wrong, that could knock you off your game, things that could make you uncomfortable, you know, what are, what are those, what are a couple of those potential flat tires, you know, I remember working with a, one of our kickers here at West Point who got invited to the NFL combine, you know, and our whole strategy of working together for those couple weeks before he went out there was to say, okay, what, what could interfere with you just warming up well, receiving the ball and punting comfortably? Uh, and he says, well, if I get too hung up on which general manager is watching me, if I get too hung. So we, he was very honest about this. And, you know, most competitors will be honest once given the chance. So I say, okay, now how are we going to respond to that? Here's the situation. Let's have a little, let's have a little one, two, three sequence in our back pocket for this eventuality and maybe for a second one, maybe for a third one. But you do just a little bit of that. And so they have the experience of knowing that there are things that I can take care of. And I've had a really interesting history of talking to athletes who I did this with, and they ended up at places like the Olympic trials and really weird things happened. Things that nobody would have predicted, but because they had practiced being in control in themselves, because they anticipated a couple other things that could go wrong, they were very comfortable when this ridiculously unexpected uh, situation took place. Uh, and they just oozed right into it, and they performed particularly well. Uh, so you really can almost inoculate yourself from, you know, the disease of self-doubt when bad things happen, if you have been careful enough to identify what are a couple of things that could really disrupt me, how am I going to handle them, and I'm going to practice that, I'm going to envision that, I'm going to get that sequence, that sort of rescue process, you know, really clear in my mind, and then I'm going to say, okay, I can handle a lot of stuff. Let's go. Uh, is part of that creating the routines that put you in the right state of mind? So one of my passions is bowling, and a big part of bowling is the pre-shot routine yeah. and sticking to that. And, and I'll see a lot of the high-end bowlers. Maybe they get up on the approach and something distracts them. They don't just look up there and then bowl. They put the ball back down on the rack. That's they right. step off and they go through everything completely. Is that an important piece when – we are putting our, we just want to be in that ideal state. And if we get thrown yeah. off to make sure that we go back to the, that, that pre-shot routine, I guess. Absolutely. You know, in the sport that you're talking about, um, you have the luxury of mm -hmm. making the move on your own time. Okay. It's a self-paced activity and you want to have a well-developed routine that leads you right up to the, optimal state of tension and the optimal state of ease and the optimal state of focus. And should something happen to interrupt that, 
Absolutely. Take it all the way back. Clean yourself up and start from start from the beginning of your routine. Really good idea in the sports where you have the luxury to do that. You know, um, tennis players initiate the point. You know, so the player who's serving does what he or she needs to do in order to know exactly where they want the serve to go, know exactly how they're going to hit it, and they commit to that. And they have the time to do that. Um, some other sports, you don't quite have that luxury. You have to react, 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 react. But what you have to do is have a pre-shot routine up to the point where the control is taken away from you, you know? So, you know, even a quarterback is going to have a, uh, a pre-snap routine. I'm going to be this way in the huddle. I'm going to do this as I break the huddle. I'm going to be looking here. I'm going to be making this. I'm going to hear this. And at some point, okay, it's on. I call the snap count. And now I am completely reactive, completely in the moment, trusting my eyes, trusting my training, trusting my decision-making. I'll put the ball in the right place. And place kickers, as you mentioned earlier, the, a kid who is off to the camp, you almost have to practice being iced because you know it's going to be a part of it. Sure, uh, absolutely. You know, um, kicking is an interesting idea because the kicker has to respond to the snap of the ball in the moment. You know, it's not like it's just sitting there on the tee and he can take a sweet time, kick it when he wants to. Okay. His routine has to be stepping it off, taking a breath, nodding to the holder, holder gives the signal. And then it's bang, bang, bang. And it has to be that sort of routine automaticity. Mm -hmm. Routine creates confidence is what I'm hearing. And I'm in the fitness space. And I couldn't agree with this more in my space as well. People are trying to get after a goal. They're trying to lose weight. They're trying to get back into the gym. Creating routine creates confidence. It brings them to the gym, which then creates consistency. I think that's yeah. just a, a huge takeaway that that routine creates confidence. Absolutely. And it's... It, it, it's the interesting thing, DJ, is that everybody has a routine. Mm. It's just a question of whether the routine is getting you what you say you want or whether you, your routine is actually taking you in a altogether different direction. Okay. Do you have a routine that works? Do you get up at the right time? Are your, you know, your, your gym shoes and your gym gear right there bedside so you don't have to make a decision about what you're going to put on? When you get out of bed, it's right there. I've established that. It helps me get after it. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite parts about the book is the chapter on building your bank account. I read it twice and I, I think I like it so much, Dr. Z, because it gives people some applicable things that they can go do right now. I think there's a lot of yeah. self-development books out there that just talk, talk, and they're motivational. They're great, but there's really nothing that I can go do right now. And so what I'd like to do is take a couple minutes, Dr. Z, and go through the top 10 ESP and ISR. Can you just lay those out, elaborate for the listeners who haven't yet read the book and, and how they can go do those this week? Sure. Okay. Well, Again, confidence is that sense of certainty that you have. You can think of it as the running total of all the thoughts that you have about yourself in your particular, you know, professional life or athletic life. Um, that running total is dependent upon how you think about yourself all day long. A huge component of that, or let me back up. Think about that running total as a bank account. A mental bank account, a repository of all your thoughts. 
And depending on what you put into that bank account, your certainty about yourself is going to improve or your certainty about yourself is going to decrease. So in that particular chapter, I talk about three ways to utilize your memories so that you are putting constructive memories into that mental bank account. And the first exercise I advise is what I call a top 10. It's where you look back kind of long term in your professional life or your athletic life. And I ask people to identify what are your top 10 moments in your sport. Um, I did it just this morning with a lacrosse goalie. Tell me about the 10 best moments. You know, the kid's been playing the sport for years. Didn't take him very long. You put that together in a nice list. Print it out in big font. Put it on your bulletin board. Maybe tack a picture uh, on it. That's, you know, I think about those top 10 memories as, boy, those, those are the opening deposits in your bank account. That's you walking down to your, you know, neighborhood savings and loan and with, with 10 checks and saying, I want to open up an account here. Here's my money. Mm -hmm. So you have that to, to, to start with. And then you have the opportunity each and every day to look at your shorter term memories. What happened today or what happened in this practice session, in this workout? Um, let's look at the potential constructive memories that I can take out from today and add them to my mental bank account so that it grows on a day-by-day -day basis. And so I urge people to look at, look for an episode of quality effort. Where did you put the hammer down? Where'd you buckle down and do something that maybe you didn't really want to do, but you knew it was important to do? Note that. Write it down in a notebook. E for effort. And then comes S. What little success did you achieve? Did you hit a PR here? Did you succeed in with technically with, with a lift or a move that had been previously given you trouble? What little success did you achieve? And then P stands for progress. Where do you seem to be making progress based on today, maybe based on yesterday or last week? What does it seem like you're getting better with? Yeah, I'm getting smoother with this process. I'm really developing, you know, um, explosion out of my stance. You know, that, that, those are more general. So you have the specific episode of effort, the specific success, and then this general sense of progress. And when you record those, those three things become deposits into your bank account and your sense of certainty can grow. Now, you can take the memory concept one step further and even look at your memories within a practice. At the end of a certain drill, what was your best rep? At the end of the next drill, what was your best rep? Carrying with you just this little tiny memory of one tiny little thing that went right, you know? If you're, do, if you're a basketball player and you do a shoot, doing a shooting drill, you take 20 reps. When the coach blows the whistle and says, now we're going to work on our defensive footwork or whatever, you're walking into that next drill or jogging out of that next drill with this little tiny aha memory. Yeah, I had a really sweet touch on this particular shot. And anybody can do that. Drill, filter, drill, filter, drill, filter throughout your workout, throughout your day. 
And that just puts you in the habit of filtering your memories effectively hour by hour or even minute by minute. So we want to do it in the long term with the top 10. We do it in the short term with the daily ESP and we do it in the immediate term um, with that immediate progress review process. It's interesting to me, Dr. Z, because thinking about those moments, it's, it's fun. It's enlightening you. It's joyful to think about those, but it, it almost seems like athletes and, and professionals, they want to quickly think about the negative parts that they might call it a negative bias, call it what you want, but sometimes it's easier for people to think about the shot that was, that didn't go in the ball that went past the catcher, some of the bad things rather than the good things. Why do you think it's so much easier for people to think about the bad versus think about the good, even though there's so much more a joy when thinking about the good stuff? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think evolutionarily, we have a little bit of negativity bias built into us. Mm -hmm. You know, our, our lives were pretty uncertain. 12,000, 15,000 years ago, we're going back to the dawn of human history. Um, really, when you think about our material lives, I mean, it's really only the last couple hundred years where they've been, you know, the least bit comfortable materially for the vast mass of people. So I think there's a little bit of negativity bias, you know, built into us. But there is also a great optimism bias built into us. You know, we got both of those evolutionary thrusts. We would not have made it as a species if we couldn't look forward to, you know, a successful hunt, finding clean water somewhere, bonding together with our tribal affiliates. You know, we, ha we have an optimism bias as well. We have those two things that sort of work off and on um, in conjunction. But I think I, the big, most important answer to your question, DJ, is I think we're socialized to be kind of negative. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, just about everybody can remember a second or third grade teacher, yeah. you know, shaking his or her finger at you saying, now, don't you ever forget that you made this. Um, there's a lot of that sort of built into our um, social world. And once you acknowledge that, you can take the steps to think a little differently. Think a little more constructively about yourself. Look for the best in yourself. Sure, you want to take notes of your shortcomings, you know. Um, I certainly don't advise everybody to ignore their imperfections and you can actually get excited about hey let's see if i can fix this let's see if i can build this part of me um, but the idea of motivating yourself through anger over having made a mistake motivating yourself oh i'll never let that happen again um that creates a short-term burst of energy but boy um it's not a very clean burning fuel. It leaves a nasty residue inside you. Um, I think there's a much cleaner burning fuel that you can use. I, what pops into my head is sometimes you think of coaches who will doubt a kid and one kid will go, okay, coach, I'll show you. And another kid may also go, you might be right, coach. I mean, it is. Yeah. It's pretty interesting and, and challenging to be a coach today. So how do you 
communicate that to coaches to be real conscious, I guess, of, of your words. Do you have some advice for coaches on that side of it? Um, this is where, this is where coaching is art. This is where a coach has to look at the range of players in front of him or her. Okay. okay. Who is going to respond positively to what message? You know, maybe there's a player who, like you say, is going to respond very constructively to criticism. I'll show you, coach. Oh, okay. Yeah. Show me. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. There's some other kids, unfortunately, who are, you know, just not wired that way. And they, they need the... They need the encouragement. They need the nurturing. Um, I wish there was a one-size-fit-all explanation to this, but I don't think it exists. Um, you can't treat everybody the same. You have to treat everybody fairly. But treating everybody fairly means that, okay, it's different for him than it is for him. I'm being fair to each of those in terms of helping them develop I'm going to do it slightly differently because they're not, they're not clones. They're not identical. Um, this is why coaching is such a difficult profession, why it can be a very frustrating profession. But, boy, when you get it right and you see somebody blossom, boy, is coaching a wonderful profession. I think – I heard you say which something that was very powerful, just the questions that we ask ourselves and you know, why, of course, uh, we had Chris Voss on, who was a negotiation expert, and, and why creates defense and how is better. And this kind of weaves into what you said in the previous uh, podcast. Instead of asking ourselves, why did I get off my game? It's better mm -hmm. to ask, how do I get back on my game and stay in my, my game? Can you elaborate a little bit on the importance of the phrasing of the question? Sure. I, I encourage people to use that how question um, a lot of the time. You know, the, the language that we use when talking to ourselves, you know, really has a lot of uh, second and third order effects. If you ask the question, you know, God, why did I mess up there? What is wrong with me? Your brain goes on like a Google search to come up with answers to that question. And like any Google search, a lot of the answers that you're going to get are going to be complete garbage. You know, you might come up with some good answers, but you're going to come up with a heck of a lot of garbage. And even when you do come up with a lot of good answers as to why, then you have to ask yourself, okay, what do I do about it? Why not just go directly to a much better question? How do I get this right? That's a, that Google search is going to give you less garbage. And the answers that it does give you are things that you can act on immediately rather than the good answers from the other Google search, which require you to ask yet another question before you actually do anything. So, in in most cases, starting a personal investigation with why is this, why is that, is pretty much a waste of time. I mean, you think about 
what it is that you want to accomplish. I want to make this team. I want to make this lift. I want to win this competition. I want to get myself to this level. Okay, now that you know that, ask the question, how do I do that? What's the best way to do that? How can I do this quickly? That's the Google search you want, you want your mind on. Um, and it's, you know, it sounds very matter of fact when we're sitting here talking about it like adults. Um, but boy, there are a lot of people who have not learned to make that distinction at all. And so we got to educate them. We got to educate them that the questions that you ask will determine where your brain goes. Is that really where you want your brain to go? Let's ask the right questions. Because if the, the why am I struggling almost creates this pity party. Sure, sure. You know, you're going to get all these answers. I'm struggling because I do this. I'm struggling because I do that. I'm struggling because I do that. Now, in order to get out of all that stuff that you just identified, now you got to ask yourself another series of questions. So you just wasted a whole lot of time and energy. Uh, ask yourself the right question to begin with. Um, as I was meditating on this podcast, I was thinking about in my life, when when are moments in my athletic career that I have not felt very confident? And as I was thinking about it, meditating on it, I was thinking there's kind of a common theme here. The times I felt the least confident, Dr. Z, was when I was going into a new environment. So it could be a road game. It could be when I go, went from high school football to college football. Um, any or a brand, a coach introduces a brand new drill that I've never done before. So when things are very new, especially when the environment is new, confidence seems to go down a little bit because there's a lot of just unknown. Nobody knows really what's going to happen next. And I think back to the movie uh, Hoosiers when they go to the state tournament and they're at this huge arena. And what do they do? They, they, they measure from the rim down and the free throw line. Everything's the same. He tries to send a message that we're playing on the same size basketball court. I'm curious, other than something like that, do you have any advice for athletes or people in general? Maybe they're going to a board meeting, a business meeting in a building they've never been to. What are some things that people can take away, people can do to help create confidence in an environment that they're very much uh, unknown and they have never been inside of? Yeah, the idea is to um, reduce that unknown factor as much as possible. Um, get photographs of the arena, the stadium, the track, the field. Um, as much as possible, you know, get an insider, an insider's video tour of the Montreal Forum or Madison Square Garden or, you know, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis where the Super Bowl is going to get played. Um, get as much of that as you can and then arrive at the Dagon Arena early enough so that you can walk around it and get tuned to it. Um, when at all possible, I urge people playing in a new stadium or a new gymnasium or a new, you know, facility, whatever it is, take some time to walk up into the cheap seats and sit down and just sort of bird's eye view this whole arena. Oh, yeah, that's where our bench is going to be. This is the door we're going to enter from. Uh, this is where the water bucket's going to be. Um, this is where the clock is. This is where the scoreboard is. This is where the American flag is. Just taking all of that. So, okay, yeah. I'm reducing the number of unknowns in my, in my experience. And then I want to look down on that field and say, okay, yeah, uh, we could get the ball here. Or, okay, here's where the pull-up station is going to be. I can see myself pumping out a PR, okay?
here's where we're going to be doing that carry. All right, along that street, that, that part of track. It's going to start here. It's going to end there. Can you see yourself executing a lot of that, a lot of your intended performance in this new arena, and then climb down from the cheap seats? Maybe you want to walk that track. Maybe you want to go up to that bar, you know. Um, legend has it that basketball icon Larry Bird would dribble literally every inch of every court he played on because he wanted to know exactly how the ball came off the floor, you know, in the middle of the court, in this corner, in that corner. The idea was just familiarizing himself with that very subtle, but for him very important characteristic of his playing environment. So we do that to the best we can. There will be some times where you can't find pictures where you can't get there in time to do this sort of attuning to your new environment. Um, people, that's when you got to use your imagination. You know, what might it be like? Okay, it might be like this. And I got to feel myself executing in that environment. Um, that's the best I, advice I got with that. Awesome. It's such a great example. We're country music fans, and uh, Kenny Chesney is someone who plays not just the little arenas, but he, he was one of the breakthrough country artists to go play the stadium tours. And what he does is exactly what you're talking about. He goes up to the farthest seat possible to see what it's going to be like for that person. And so two things, number one, he wants to get a, a giant view as to what's happening down on the stage, but then he's also got this mental vision of if I'm sitting up here, how am I as the entertainer going to be able to reach the last person mm. in the stadium. And right. when he's got that, yeah. that mix, he's got a, a great night. I mean, one person with 60,000 people, they came to see him and how he can make 60,000 stadium feel intimate. One of the strategies he talks about is I go back there and I, and I see myself there and I want to be able to play to that last person. So obviously what yeah. you're talking about works. Great story. I like it. Very cool. As we close down here, I wanted to ask one more question. So I think a lot of, uh, again, talking about where does confidence arise the most? And I think what happens when, when it, when it um, decreases is when an error happens. And I like the way you put this in your book. I'd love for you to touch on as we close down. You say, think of each and every mistake, error, or setback as temporary, limited, and non-representative of yourself. Can you break those three down as we kind of close this conversation down? Certainly. Um, Let's face it, folks, I don't care how good you are, how well-trained you are, mistakes are going to happen in this imperfect physical universe that we're all walking around in. Uh, and you have to protect your mental bank account. You have to protect your certainty from the breakdowns that could occur when a mistake happens, when you goof, or even when something happens that's outside of your control that you had nothing to do with. Um, the three guidelines that you mentioned, treat it as temporary. Yeah, it happened, but it was just that one time. It was that one time. It was that one time. It happened, but it was just there in that single, small time interval. And even if it's something that might happen a couple times, three times, you have to keep it temporary. Otherwise, you inevitably fall into the trap of, oh, here I go again. Here I go again. And that is a very subtle thief. 
that thief loves to come in and rob your mental bank account, and you got to shut the door on that thief by saying, okay, it happened. It was just that time. It was just that one incident. I'm keeping it separate. Second point is I want to keep it limited, limited in terms of where it occurred. Something happened here in my game, but that's got nothing to do with all the other parts of my game. You know, the golfer cannot infer from a couple poor wedge shots or putts that his driver is not going to work during the rest of the round. The, you know, the tennis player doesn't have the luxury of saying that, okay, my service game is a little off. I guess the rest of my game is going to be off too. She has to keep that difficulty limited to the space where it occurs. So you got to keep it limited in terms of where it occurred. You have to keep it temporary in terms of when it occurred. And then most importantly, ladies and gents, you can't read in to the mistakes and thinking that, okay, that mistake defines me for the day or for the afternoon. A mistake is unfortunate. It may have consequences, but it doesn't tell the truth about you. It's not a representation of you as a performer, as an individual, as a person. And there's a pretty big trap that we can fall into if we don't treat our mistakes as non-representative. We can fall into the trap of, hey, maybe I'm not cut out for this at all. That's the biggest self-doubt trap there is. So T for temporary, L for limited, N for non-representative, TLN people, you might want to wrap some tape around your wrist and put those three letters in great big, um, great big magic marker, great big Sharpie, so that you can, okay, TLN, bang, I'm back on. I keep the mistake when it occurred, I keep it where it occurred, and it ain't about me. That gives me power to go forward. Man, great stuff. What a great place to end it. Dr. Z, this was awesome. Uh, I really enjoyed researching you. I, I loved the book. Like, like we said earlier, everybody needs to read this book. Uh, for those people that haven't yet read it, uh, where can they get it? And there's anything else that you'd like to point my listeners to? Um, um, the book is available pretty much wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if people are curious about, you know, have follow-up questions or inquiries, um, my personal website, natesensor.com wide open i'm getting all kinds of uh, inquiries uh from all over the world uh cyclists in france uh royal air force pilots in england um professional musicians in norway um not to mention you know football players hockey players tennis players archers um business people, doctors, researchers, surgeons from all over the country. That's really gratifying to be able to offer so much to so many. I've been reading books like this nonstop since I've been 18 years old. And I will tell you, and I told you this off air, and I don't say this to say this, I don't know that there's anybody who would not benefit from this book. It is that good. And so mm. it, it'll be on my list. I'll be buying a, a bunch from for my uh, my clients. And if we can wrap our arms around this confidence without arrogance, it would just be amazing to see what people can accomplish when they do this following your strategies. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you today. 
and my best wishes for a confident mind and continued success for all your listeners. Thanks, Dr. Z.